0: Take out your copy of God's word and join me this morning in the book of Psalms. This morning, Psalm. 19 Uh, we welcome those that are joining us online i hope you guys that are joining us online can feel the energy here in the room today just as we're worshiping god and as we're doing so uh, generationally it's a beautiful thing if you don't have a bible with you today there are some there in the pew back in front of you if you don't own one please take that one with you i am happy to announce that we had to order more bibles because people keep taking our bibles which is awesome i love that So take that Bible, use that one if you don't have one. Uh, We're going to be on page 399 in the front part of that Bible in the Old Testament. 399, Psalm 19. We're in a series of messages talking about worldviews. And a worldview is just how we look at the world. It's how we interpret the world. It's how we understand the world. It's how we figure things out that are going on in the world. And everybody has one. We may not recognize it, we may not acknowledge it, but everybody has a worldview. And as Christ followers, we believe we should have a biblical worldview. We should understand the world through the lens of the Bible. And a biblical worldview begins with a simple conviction that God himself has spoken to us. That he has inspired the Bible, he has written to us in his word, and that word is inerrant, without error, and it is infallible. It is authoritative. Because the Bible is the Word of God, we can believe that it is true. We can believe that it is accurate and it is reliable. God is true. He does not change. He does not lie. In fact, he cannot lie. And because he has inspired the Bible, we can believe that the Bible, therefore, is true in all that it teaches us. The Bible is our standard. It is the standard by which we must test all truth claims. If someone comes to us presenting us information, if someone comes to us presenting something they claim to be truthful, then the lens through which we ought to inspect it, the standard by which we ought to inspect it, is the Bible, the Word of God. We must filter all of life through it. It is foundational. Last Sunday, we discovered that it is authoritative, that we can Have confidence in it. And we went through various reasons why we can have confidence in the Word of God. It's historical, not mythical. It is a compilation of eyewitness accounts corroborated by other eyewitness accounts that help us to understand the supernatural. There are many reasons why we can accept the Bible as authoritative. We talked about our confidence in the Bible last week. I want us to talk about this week the sufficiency of the Bible. Is the Bible sufficient? In and of itself, is it sufficient to, uh, to provide us with everything that we need in life? Is the Bible sufficient? Many would answer that question today and say, no, it's not. They would say, no, the Bible's fine, but we need something else. We need to look beyond the Bible because the Bible's not modern enough. The Bible is not sophisticated enough. We need to look at Principles of leadership. We need to look at things like modern psychological principles, or we need to look at experimental counseling techniques. The Bible, they would say, is not sufficient. Therefore, many pulpits sound more like an episode of Dr. Phil or Oprah than they do take out your copy of God's Word and let's find out what God's Word tells us is truth. (laughs) Observing current trends in preaching and church growth, it would seem that the church is more concerned about what Hollywood says is true or what the latest opinion poll says is true than what the authoritative word of God says is true. A recent newspaper uh, reporter wrote an article entitled, Has the Church Gotten It All Wrong? The theme of the whole article was Human sexuality. And the implication was that the church is on the wrong side of truth. The inference is that the church should follow modern trends and follow what society says is right and wrong when it comes to our own human sexuality. The warning in the article was this. If the church does not change to follow what the world says is true about these issues, then eventually the pews will be empty. And so, in order to stay current with the times, many churches have abandoned the Bible for some other modern approach, and in doing so, even those who claim to be Christ followers are operating from a different worldview than a biblical worldview, and they're teaching their children to look at the world from a different worldview than the authoritative word of God a couple years ago my father who many of you know is a member of ours here at First Baptist and helps us with our adult ministry here a few years ago he was going through some physical difficulties he was struggling with some chest pain, some acid reflux some other disconcerting pains and with his history of heart problems having survived a heart attack and bypass surgery any time he has chest pains of course alarm bells go off and you get concerned about it and so he was having these rather frequently and When they would would get acute enough, he would finally give in and go to the doctor. He would go to the hospital. And they would run tests, and typically they would focus on his heart because he had a history of heart problems, but they would find out through their testing that his problem wasn't his heart. And typically they would give him something to ease his pain, they would give him something uh, for his acid, and they would send him home and tell him to relax. And then a few weeks later it would happen again. And back he would go, because it was disconcerting, it was alarming, and he would go to the doctor, he would go to the hospital, and they would run tests on his heart and determine it wasn't his heart, and they would give him some antacid and tell him to go home and relax. For two years or more, my parents dealt with this. People treating his symptoms without ever finding his problem. They treated symptoms without finding the problem. It wasn't until he had a conversation with Charles and Diana Pittman where they encouraged him strongly to go and say, would you please look at my gallbladder more closely. That they finally ran enough tests to figure out that he had a diseased gallbladder that needed to be removed. And you know what happened when they removed the source of his problem? His symptoms went away. My, my, my. Isn't that crazy? Symptomatic treatment. Treating symptoms instead of the cause. Happens all the time in doctor's offices. Happens all the time in hospitals. We can't nail down the source of the problem, so we are going to treat the symptoms. And typically with good meaning behind it, we want to comfort the person who is in pain, but often symptomatic treatment is not really recommended because it can be outright dangerous because treating the symptoms without finding the cause can mask what God is trying to us to figure out what's gone what's gone wrong. Symptomatic treatment doesn't just happen in hospitals. Symptomatic treatments also happening in our churches weekly. When we treat symptoms instead of the source of the problem when preachers are preaching sermons and writing sermon series around the felt needs of their congregation or the hot-button issues of the day. For instance, stress, finances, parenting, marriage. That's not to say that people don't struggle in all of those areas, but it is to say that they, haven't, that they have a common reason that we struggle in all of those areas. And when we write sermons and we write sermon series that deal with symptoms, sometimes we're not doing people any good. In fact, we might actually be masking the actual problem that people have. And so perhaps instead of turning to clever outlines, our human wisdom, our modern psychology, perhaps we might want to see what the Bible has to say on these sources. Perhaps we might want to turn to what God has revealed about himself And about us, perhaps we might want to turn to that trusted source, the word of God, to find out the answer to our problems. Paul, in his letter to the Colossian church, excuse me, Colossian church, warned the believers this way. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, he said, "...see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ." He's telling the church, be careful that people don't come in and pull you away from the truth of the gospel. To something that sounds really wise, to something that sounds really modern, to something that sounds really good. He says, don't be deceived by these things. As we discussed last Sunday, the Bible is authoritative in our lives. We can trust it to be true. But is the Bible also sufficient in our lives? What do I mean by sufficient? When you're talking to somebody and they say, oh, that's sufficient, what do they mean? They mean I have enough. To be sufficient means to be satisfactory, it means to be ample, it means to be that it's all that is necessary. When something is sufficient, it's all you need. And the Bible is sufficient, it is it is everything we need, it is enough, it is ample it is satisfactory it is all we need as a guide for our faith and for our conduct scripture is everything we need for life and for godliness we need to understand that the bible was written with expressly a very practical and spiritual purpose in mind as opposed to a scientific or a philosophical purpose Let me say that again. The Bible was written with a very practical and spiritual purpose in mind, as opposed to a scientific or a philosophical purpose. The Bible has not been written to answer all of man's scientific or philosophical questions. It's not the purpose in the Bible. The Bible instead has been written to answer man's most practical problem, and to help us deal with our most practical problem, sin that separates us from the creator who loves us and what God has done to deal with our sin without the bible man does not have answers to life's biggest questions without the bible we don't know how the universe began without the bible we don't know the origins of man where did man come from without the bible you cannot explain evil in the world Without the Bible, you can't begin to understand the nature of man, and we have no prospect for hope if you eliminate the Word of God. The Bible answers all of those questions sufficiently and many, many more. And yet we continually move away from it. We continually say it's not applicable. We continually move away from it and say it's not modern enough. It's not sophisticated enough. We need something else. Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 14, tell us that no, we don't. Psalm chapter 19 is this psalm about the revelation of God to mankind, how how he makes himself known to us. The first six verses deal with his general revelation in creation. The first, then verses 7 through 14, deal with his specific revelation in Scripture. And they are there to help us understand that Scripture is all we need. It is sufficient and so if you're willing and able would you stand with me as we read from psalm 19 beginning in verse 7 this morning the law of the lord is perfect restoring the soul the testimony of the lord is sure making wise the simple the precepts of the lord are right rejoicing the heart The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than more fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of my hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there are so many answers or so many questions that we have about things in life. There are so many struggles that we all have because we are humans and we struggle with sin. Father, we we struggle with pride, we struggle in our marriages, we struggle in our relationships, we, we struggle in our purity, we struggle in so many ways. And Father, so often we want to treat the symptoms without figuring out what the source is. Father, the source of all of our problems is sin. The source of all of our problems goes back to our own selfish pride. But Father, you've given us your word to deal not with all the day-to-day little problems in our lives, but to handle the biggest problem that we could ever face, and that is the sin that separates us from you. And so, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is authoritative, that we can rely upon it, that we know that it is truth, that we can stand on it firmly. And Father, thank you that it is sufficient. It is truly all we need for life and godliness, that when we see ourselves in light of you and our righteousness through Jesus Christ, it will change everything about us. It will literally transform our lives. And so, Father, today, as we read your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would enlighten us to understand just how sufficient your word is, that we truly need nothing else. Lord, we love you. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in creation. And, Father, we we love you for revealing yourself to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, who we read about here in your word. Lord, your word is true. Thank you for giving it to us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. A true biblical worldview then begins with an understanding that God is great and that God is good. He is a great God. He is transcendent above his creation, and yet he is also a good God. He is an eminent God who is very personal. He is above all, and yet he has made himself known within his his creation. And how has God made himself known? How has God revealed himself to mankind? How do we know that God exists? Well, he's done so in creation. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. If we just begin in chapter 19 and we go back to verse 1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of his hand. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals this knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there any words. Their voice is not heard. And yet, God is revealed in his creation. We look at creation, and no one can say, I didn't know there was a God. General revelation is there to reveal to mankind that there is a creator who has created all that we cannot explain. And when we look at creation, our hearts long to worship the one who has created it. This is called general revelation. It is for everyone. It is given generally. The problem with general revelation is that it is not specific enough for salvation. It is only useful for condemnation. The book of Romans tells us that no one can stand before God with excuse and say, I didn't know you existed because God has revealed himself to us in his creation. But God does not stop with general revelation. God says you need more information, not just that I exist. You need to know who I am. You need to know what my standards are. I am your creator. I have laws. I have rules. I have a character that you need to understand. And so God explains himself to us in special revelation. He talks to us. He does so in past times through prophets and through teachers. He did so perfectly in Jesus Christ. When we see him, we have seen the Father. And we see Jesus Christ because God has spoken to us in his word. Verses 7 through 14 talk to us about this specific revelation. How God has revealed himself to us in the word of God. And it uses six nouns, six adjectives, and six verbs to help us understand it. Six nouns. Law. Testimony. Precept. Commandment. Fear. Judgment. Six adjectives. Perfect. Sure. Right. Pure. Clean. True. And six verbs. Restoring. Making. Rejoicing. Enlightening. Enduring. Righteous altogether. God is giving us an explanation of what the Word of God is. It's helping us to see a noun that then is described by an adjective that shows us the verb that takes place in our lives. And so we find in these verses that the Bible is sufficient to save us. We find in these verses that the Bible is sufficient to instruct us. We find that this this Bible is sufficient to delight us, to direct us, to outlast us, to protect us, to reward us, and to warn us. You say that's a lot. We going to cover all of that. That's my plan. That's where we're headed. Let's talk first about the Bible is sufficient to save us. Verse seven, the first part of verse seven, says the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The noun there is the law. That is God's divine instruction. The adjective is that that divine instruction is perfect, and the verb is that it is restoring the soul. Divine instruction is complete to save us. This word law is in the Hebrew Torah. It is God's divine instruction. It points to the teaching nature of the Bible. It teaches us about who God is about what his character is, about what his standards are, and it teaches us about who we are as human beings. The purpose of the law has always been to demonstrate to us who God is. The law demonstrates God's character. His law is God's divine instruction. It teaches us about his standards. It teaches us about his expectations of us. It is his manual on how to live the life that he has given us to the maximum. This is the owner's manual. This is the how-to book on how to live the life that God has given you. These are God's divine instructions. He tells us, if you do these things, it will go well. If you don't do these things, you're going to struggle in this life. This is God's law, his divine instructions it is described as perfect here. What does it mean to be perfect? Well, of course it means that there are no imperfections in it. But the word means more than just simply not having imperfections. The word means to be complete. It means to be comprehensive. It means to lack nothing. The law of God is complete. It lacks nothing. Nothing needs to be taken from it. Nothing needs to be added to it. It is perfect. What does it do for us, this law that is perfect and complete? What does it do for us? It restores the soul. This is the Hebrew word nefesh. This isn't talking about your outward person. It's not talking about the body that we live in. It's not talking about the tent. It's talking about your inner person. It's talking about your soul. It's talking about who you are, the essence of who you are. And what does the law of God do perfectly? It restores your soul. Your translation might say, revives your soul. It might say, refreshes your soul. The Bible has everything man needs to transform our fallen, sinful, dirty souls. When we rebelled against God, our souls fell away from him and the Bible gives us everything we need perfectly completely. We don't need anything else to help us understand what makes us right with God other than the Word of God. It's not the skill of the preacher. It's not the cleverness of the message. It's not the fancy graphics or the light show or the smoke machine that draws people to Christ and transforms their soul. It is the unadulterated Word of God faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god the bible is sufficient to save us we need nothing else other than what the bible reveals to us about god's holiness about our lostness and about god's grace through jesus christ and that we come to faith we come to right relationship with him through faith it's all we need not only is it all we need for saving us, it is also sufficient to instruct us. The second part of verse 7 says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The testimony is the noun. Sure is the adjective. Making wise, of course, is the verb. The testimony is God's divine witness. It is his personal testimony. It is what he has to say to us. It is who he is, It is his will. It is his requirements for us. And how is this testimony of God described? It is sure, meaning it's reliable. It's trustworthy. It doesn't need a proofreader. It does not need to be edited. It does not need to be modified nor modernized. It is true. It is reliable. No matter who reads it, no matter where they read it, no matter when they read it. What is this testimony of God that is true and reliable? What does it do for us? It makes us wise. It makes wise the simple. The Hebrew language is a language that, that, that usually paints pictures, and they're very straightforward pictures. They're very clear pictures. And the root word for the word simple here is the word for an open door. Meaning a simple person is a person who just has an open door. They have no filter. They have no sense of discernment. They take everything that's given to them and they, they accept it it is equally true. They have no way to filter out the source or facts. They just say, I'm so open-minded, I'll just take anything in. Maybe you've said, I have an open mind. And I think when we say that, what we're trying to say is I'm intellectually honest enough to consider everything, but hear me, you're not wise if you don't have a filter. You're not wise if you don't use the sense of discernment that God has given us to figure out what's the source of this information coming into my life and are there any facts to back it up. And so if you are open minded, about everything, let me encourage you to close your mind just a little bit. Am I making any sense here? It's not to say that we don't consider things. It's not to say that I'm not open to hear truth. It's to say that there is a truth, there is an absolute truth, and I need to weigh everything that is presented to me on what? That truth. I need to filter it all through that truth. You're not being open-minded if you say, oh, everything is equally true. You know what you're being if you say that? There's children in the room, I can't say what you're being (laughs) if you just accept everything is equally true. That just doesn't make any sense at all. But the Bible is sufficient to instruct us to make wise the simple. To say what you need to do is filter it through here. I have parents for some time I, this is not in my notes I'm just about to I have parents sometimes that tell me, say I, I want my children to 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 um, I'm not going to force religion on them. I'm not going to force my faith on them I'm not going to make them come to church I'm just going to you know I'm going to wait till they get old enough and then let them make up their own minds. hear, hear me is. It is very important for our children to own their own faith. That is vitally important. But if you are comparing something that is no more truthful than any other thing and the outcome of their choice is really not that big of a deal, then sure, let them make up their own mind on it. But if the faith you have in Jesus Christ is true and all other religions are false, do not let your children try to figure it out on their own. Teach them the truth. Help them to embrace it as their own. Help them to understand why you believe what you believe. You don't even have to pay for that part. That was... Some of us... (laughs) Some of us care more about which college team our kid cheers for than which God they serve. We're more offended if they cheer for Florida State than if they don't serve Jesus Christ. All right, I'm moving on. (laughs) The Bible is sufficient to save us. The Bible is sufficient to instruct us. The Bible, verse 8, is sufficient to delight us. The precepts of God are right, rejoicing the heart. The noun there is precept. It is God's divine directives. The verb there is rejoicing, and the adjective is right. God's divine directive always lays out a right path that leads to joy in your life. A precept is just God's command direction. He says, go that way. That's all it means. This is the way you ought to go. Follow that path. Go that direction. And when he tells us to do that, the adjective is, it's right. Obviously, that means opposed to wrong, but it also means that's the correct path. When God tells us to go a certain way, he always tells us to go the right way. He never leads us the wrong way. It's always the right way. And when we follow the path that God has for our lives, what is the verb that takes place? It leads to joy. It leads to rejoicing. Instead of following the path that the world says I ought to go down, instead of following the path that my libido says I ought to go down, I follow the path that God tells me I go down and it doesn't lead to destruction, it leads to joy, peace and assurance beyond my circumstances. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12, there's a way which seems right unto men, but that way leads to destruction. Psalm 119 verse 105, thy word Is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, this is the way, now walk in it. Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By walking according to God's word. The Bible is sufficient to save us. The Bible is sufficient to instruct us. The the Bible is sufficient to lead us to joy. Anybody in here need some peace in your life? Anybody in here need a little joy in your life? The answer is right here. It's in the Word of God. The Bible is sufficient to direct us. The second part of verse 8. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. That noun commandment is God's divine mandates. The adjective is sufficient, it gives clarity, and the verb is direction, it directs our lives. God's commandments are his mandates to us. These are his non-optional demands. These are not God's suggestions, these are God's commandments. This is God who has created us speaking into our lives, saying, if you do these things, these will go well. Follow my commandments. Obedience will lead to reward. Disobedience will lead to pain. It will lead to to suffering. And how are these commandments described? What adjective is used? They are pure. They are without imperfection. But the word more literally means that they're clear. means they're transparent. The commands of God, in other words, aren't foggy. The commands of God aren't muddy. They're not vague. When we read the Word of God, it's pretty clear what God wants us to do and what God doesn't want us to do. It's not not like we read it and go, well, I didn't know. God makes it so that we can understand it. He makes it so that we can clearly see it. Because when we clearly see it, notice the verb, it does what? It enlightens our eyes. It helps us to see and understand the truth. It helps us to see things from God's perspective. I usually pay no attention to what's on that screen, but I thought I was having a fit there for a second, so I had to... It's all right. We'll keep going. When we read the Word of God, when we understand it's sufficient, it helps us to clearly see things from God's perspective, not man's perspective. It gives us clarity. Listen, we cannot understand the world, the world apart from the Bible. We're going to talk about this next week when we get to creation. We're going to talk about creation. Did you know that you can't understand creation apart from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? Apart from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, no scientist can explain to you how things came into existence. They've got theories and they've got ideas about what's happened since it came into existence. They cannot explain to you how it came into existence. You know how I know how it came into existence? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created. We're going to spend time on that next week. We don't know the answer to that, but it becomes clear when we understand that this is God's word to us to help us understand creation. We begin to understand what life is. We begin to understand where death came from. We begin to understand why evil is in the world. We begin to understand clearly that God has a plan because he's a good and gracious God to redeem us and restore all things for his glory. Do you understand the benefit you have as a Christ follower to have the Word of God, to be able to understand the world from God's perspective clearly? To not walk around just trying to grope around, trying to figure this life thing out. The Bible is sufficient to help us. It is sufficient to save us, instruct us, delight us, direct us. Verse 9, it is sufficient and it will outlast us. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Fear is this noun meaning divine worship. It is undefiled and it will last forever. The fear of the Lord is another name for the word of God because it inspires awe. When we read how God has revealed himself to us and we see that he is a great God and that he is a good God that he is a transcendent God and yet he is a very personal imminent God we begin to have awe of who he is that's rever- reverential concern and care God is awesome and the word of God leads us to that and that word of God is clean it's without defilement it is free from error it is unstained by sin Therefore, since it is clean and pure and undefiled and unstained by sin, it will endure forever. It will last forever. The word of God is living. It's abiding. It will not pass away. Everything else will. Every other philosophy, every other it's all going to go away. But the word of God never changes and it never ends ends and if it never changes and it never ends guess what it never needs to be altered it is perfect no matter who reads it no matter where they read it no matter when they read it it is perfect for every generation psalm verse chapter 119 verse 89 which if you haven't picked up on this by the way psalm 19 psalm 19 psalm 119 go hand in hand Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible, and it's all about the Word of God. Psalm 19 is the the sparks notes of Psalm 119. For those of you that are old, the cliff notes of Psalm 119. Psalm 19. What's that? I don't know what that is. They go together. Where was I? You guys keep distracting me today. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It's forever settled. It's a done deal. And so do we really think that we need to update it? Do we really think that we can improve upon it? Do we really have the audacity to say that that it's not perfect and that it's unchanging? That I need something other than what God says I need? Oh, the word of God is sufficient to save us, instruct us, delight us, direct us, outlast us. It is sufficient to protect us. Second part of verse 9. His judgments are true. They are righteous altogether. The noun is judgment. It is God's divine decrees. Those divine decrees are altogether right. They are true, and they lead to righteousness. The judgments of God is exactly what it sounds like. It is a judge sitting on his bench declaring things right and wrong, declaring guilt and not guilty. And the word of God is where we find the standard by which God says you're guilty, and the standard by which we find God says you're not guilty. Verse, Romans chapter 5. For those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, you know what God the judge has declared? You are not guilty. That is his declaration. When you place your trust in Christ for your salvation, God says you're no longer guilty of sin. You are not guilty. What's it called when you can be tried a second time for the same crime? What's it? Double jeopardy. Yeah, there's no double jeopardy with God. Yeah, when God says you're clean, when God says you're not guilty, you're not guilty, period. You can never be tried for that crime again. And God has declared for those who are in Christ that they are not guilty. And His word is always true, meaning it is always accurate. If God says you're guilty, guess what? You're guilty. If God says you're not guilty, you're not guilty. And what does this lead to? Righteousness. To understand what it means for me to be right with a holy God, what do I need? Do I need philosophy? Do I need psychology? Do I need fancy outlines? What do I need to know what makes a, a sinful man right with a holy God? What do I need to know? The Word of God. It's all I need. It is sufficient for that. The Bible is sufficient for all we need for life and godliness. It'll transform us, it'll make us wise. It'll give us joy. It'll open our eyes. It will never change, and it will declare us righteous. But two more things, and I'm done. The Bible is also sufficient to reward us. Verses 10 and 11. In verse 11, it says, In keeping them there is great reward. In keeping the word of God there is great reward. Now notice what it doesn't say. It does not say, For keeping them there is great reward. It does not say that if you observe the law perfectly, then you will be rewarded for that. It doesn't say that. That would be salvation that happens by works. That would be I've earned what God would graciously give to me. It doesn't say for doing these things. It says in doing these things, there is a great reward. Is that distinction clear enough? This means yes, this means no. You're not working towards your salvation. You're not being able to earn it by doing these things. But in doing them, there is a huge reward. I'm not trying to earn my salvation. I've been declared righteous by God. I'm following the path that he's laid out for me. And as I follow that path that he's laid out for me, that in and of itself is a huge reward. Yes? Okay. Okay. Just making sure you're hearing what I'm saying, that you're picking up what I'm setting down. We good? Notice what it says, this great reward, there is a treasure. It's more desirable than gold. Man, when you find out that you're right with God, and you find out that God has revealed himself to his word, there is nothing in your life more valuable. Nothing. It's like the the, the parable of the, the, the man who found a treasure in the field. And finding that treasure, he went and sold everything else and bought that field because that treasure outmatched anything else he could ever imagine. Oh, knowing God, having a relationship with him, his word is like a treasure in your life. It's also the greatest pleasure in your life. It's like sweet honey. It's sweeter than the best honey you could ever taste. Oh, the Bible tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Try him out. There is great reward in following the Word of God, but the Bible is also finally sufficient to warn us. Not only to reward us, but to warn us. Verse 12, the psalmist writes, Who can discern his errors? He said, How can I know what's wrong in my life? Keep me from presumptuous sin. How can I know if there's something wrong? Don't let the sin that I'm so entangled in rule over my life. How? Verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. How can a young man keep his ways pure by following the word? How can the Bible keep me away from sin by meditating on it, by studying it? Psalm one nineteen verse eleven thy word have I hidden my heart, thy word have I hidden in my heart. Thy, thy that I might not sin against God. The Bible is given not for our information. The Bible is given for our transformation. The Bible was not given to make you smarter. The Bible was given to make you holy. The Bible was given not just so that you could say, look how smart I am. The Bible was given so that you could be transformed. Your life could be completely changed. And when we don't deal with the symptoms of our problem and we deal with the source of our problem, I promise you every other aspect of your life will get better. Every other aspect of your life will grow stronger. When you deal with the sin in your life and you begin to live your life according to God's word, your relationships will grow. You'll be a better friend, a better worker, a better boss, a better wife, a better husband, a better father, a better son, a better daughter, a better wife. Because we've been transformed by the Word of God, it lacks nothing that we need. But hear me, the measure cannot be that we just speak about it. The measure also can't be that we can quote from it from time to time. The measure must be that we have been transformed by it. We have some of our kids with us today. Kids, I want you to imagine that when you go home today, and I know this is just completely out of the realm of possibility, but your parents tell you you need to clean your room. I know your parents would never tell you that because you keep your room nice and tidy and clean, but just on the off chance that you have a messy room, you're going to go home today and your parents are going to say, I'm your mom, I'm your dad, and I say you need to clean your room. And you go to your room, and you meditate on it. (laughs) And you think about what your parents have told you. And after a few minutes, you come back out to your parents and you say, Mom, Dad, I've thought about what you instructed me to do. I've given it much thought. I've, I've prayed about what you told me to do. As a matter of fact, a little while later, some of my friends are coming over, we're going to have coffee, and we're going to discuss the merits of whether we should do this or not. <laughs> Kids, how's that going to go over with your parents? And yet we show up at church week after week and God says, this is my way, walk in it. Go clean up your life, go clean up your room. And we say, you know what, God, I've prayed about it. I've meditated on it. I got together with some coffee and we debated it in our core group class. The Bible's not for our information. Bible's for our transformation. And it is sufficient. It is all we need for life and godliness. It is sufficient to save us. It is sufficient to instruct us. It is sufficient to, light, to delight us, to direct us, to outlast us, to protect us, to reward us, and to warn us. It is all we need. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Father, help us to not be hearers who deceive ourselves But, Father, let us be doers of your word. Lord, forgive us for when we don't act as if it's sufficient, as if it's all we need, as if we're longing for something more, more modern or sophisticated. God, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word, your perfect, true, undefiled, word that always leads us in the right direction. And Father, when we follow the path that you lay out for us, when we follow the manual that you give us for the life that you've blessed us with, it leads to joy. So Father, forgive us when we go down the wrong path. When we follow human wisdom, when we care more about what other people think about us than what your word tells us is right and wrong. And Father, I pray that as a church, individually that we would long for your word. We would long to learn it because as we learn it, we learn more about you. We learn who you are. So individually, Father, I pray that you would just put a burden in our hearts to know you more through your word. Father, as a corporate body, as a church, I pray that we would never be satisfied with anything less than your word, that we would never seek anything more than your as a body, we would not tolerate anything but teaching and proclamation of the truth of your word. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. Father, let us not just treat symptoms. Let us treat the cause of our problem. And Father, let us not just come into this place and think about it for a little while. Talk about it for a little while, but then never take action on it. Lord, help us to leave this place and take action on what your word has called us to do. For your good, for your glory. The invitation this morning is it's pretty simple. You may have some issues in your life. You may have some problems in your life. And you've been trying to deal with them. You say, I can't stop looking at that website. I can't stop talking the way I'm talking keep being selfish. I can't get along with my spouse. And every time you try to deal with one of those issues, you just can't get past it. Can I just be honest with you? You're, You're dealing with your symptoms. You're not dealing with your problem. Your problem is a sinful soul, a sinful heart that's pulling you away from who God wants you to be, desires for you to be, and will transform you. to be. And the Bible teaches us that we could never be good enough on our own to deal with our sin problem. But God in his justice and in his mercy and in his goodness sent his son to die on a cross to take the penalty for our sin, to take that sin away. I know it's true because he didn't just die on a cross, three days later he rose from the dead. And if we'll put our faith in him, he will transform the I'm not saying all your problems will immediately go away. I'm not saying life will be rosy, but I'm promising you that God will deal with your biggest problem and then the rest of them, he'll begin to work. on. And so I wonder if there's somebody here today who's just heard the word of God today and says, I'm tired of dealing with this stuff on my own. I need to cry out. and I need Jesus. I need Christ. Maybe some of us in the room are kind of like the child that I described at the end of the sermon. We talk about the word, we read the word, we come in here on Sundays, we drink some coffee and we debate it with other people and then we go back out and do our own thing on on Monday. And Maybe today is just a day where we say, God, I, I need to embrace that your word is sufficient. I need to not just hear it, I need to live it. So let your Holy Spirit strengthen me, Father. Maybe you're looking for a church home a place where you can unite your giftedness that God has given you for the, his glory to reach more people for Christ. And we need help. There are so many lost people who need Jesus Christ and we need you to help us reach them. There are so many believers who need to be built up. We need your help to build them up. If God's called you to be a part of this congregation. You can make that known during this time of invitation. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would take this time of invitation. Lord, I pray for those who are being drawn to you right now. As was prayed in our core group this morning, Lord, I pray that you not give them rest until they respond to your Holy Spirit. That there are some in the room who can't even explain what they're feeling right now. And Father, I pray that they wouldn't just let that feeling go away, or they wouldn't suppress it, but they would act upon it. That they would reach out and say, I don't know what I'm going through right now, But I think I need what you're talking about. I think I need this Jesus Christ. Father, for others of us, I pray that we would just be faithful to not be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your clear commands in our lives. Thank you for revealing yourself. Thank you for revealing life to us. Father, let us walk in your way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? invitation is this. If you want to talk to somebody...